All right, let's uh, turn to our scripture reading for this morning. Uh, We'll be looking at Psalm 107. Psalm 107, and uh, I'll be going through the entire psalm, but for our scripture reading, we'll be looking at just the first three verses. Psalm 107. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. This is God's word. Let me pray for us once more. O Lord, would you open the eyes of our hearts, would you open our minds in our ears to the scriptures, to this passage, and speak even through this unworthy servant so that we would hear and understand and by your grace obey what it is, whatever it is you teach us this morning. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I recently came across an article in the Chicago Tribune with the title... It's a long one. Kids under 12 won't be fully vaccinated by Thanksgiving. That's creating a dilemma for some parents. That's the title. Kids under 12 won't be fully vaccinated by Thanksgiving. That's creating a dilemma for some parents. That title caught my eye because, well, that's precisely the situation our family's in. Our two boys are fully vaccinated, and Jane and I recently received our boosters, but our youngest is still 11. She received her first dose of the Pfizer vaccine just after the CDC finally approved it for her age group, but she won't be getting the second shot until early December, which means she won't be fully vaccinated by Thanksgiving. And that has sparked a couple of conversations about how comfortable we feel gathering with relatives to eat and celebrate the holiday together. Now, perhaps some of you here are in the same situation. You're feeling that tension between wanting to celebrate the holiday with relatives and friends, but also doing what you can to keep everyone safe, especially as the case numbers in our area and across the nation seem to be climbing back up with the weather getting colder and people moving indoors. What should we do? And more importantly, why are we still dealing with this? Perhaps some of us had hoped that we'd be done with COVID by now. But now we're confronted with the undeniable reality that this pandemic is going to be sticking around for a while longer. I think most of us would agree that 2020 was a tough year, but if you feel that 2021 was only a bit better... Well, you're probably not alone. I've already mentioned the pandemic, but add to that the ongoing racial tension in our society as witnessed by the high-profile trials in Wisconsin and Georgia and Virginia, or the contentious local school board meetings over COVID safety measures, labor disputes with unions, and debates over the real or imagined presence of critical race theory in our education curriculums. Or 
the ongoing economic uncertainty or the disruptions we hear about in the global supply chains that may make some items unavailable for holiday shopping or the ongoing political rancor in Washington, D.C. and all over the country, it seems. You put all that together, well then, yes, we've had ourselves a pretty difficult 2021. And maybe some of us are feeling this in different ways. Perhaps our emotional and mental health has taken a huge hit. Maybe some of us are feeling it in our bank accounts or our stock market portfolios. I wouldn't be surprised if some of us are feeling it in our relationships with our spouse or our kids or our relatives. Maybe some of us maybe even feeling it here in our church. All of this may make it seem tough to feel thankful in any way, even if the official holiday is coming up this week. What exactly are we supposed to do when we don't feel like giving thanks, even though deep down we know we probably should be thankful? And what help, if any, can I offer along this line as your pastor? Well, I can try to do the same thing that we do every Sunday. I can try to take us to the Word of God. And I can encourage us to allow our outlook to be shaped and even corrected by the Scriptures, and in this case, by Psalm 107. If you have your Bible still open, and I hope you do, if you look with me again at the opening verse of the psalm, we'll see the invitation to give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Can we really imagine ourselves doing this even in a year as tough as 2021? Well, I hope so. And I'd like to offer at least three reasons why. Today's psalm gives us at least three reasons about Thanksgiving that we should consider together. First, Thanksgiving is a perspective that looks beyond our present circumstances. Thanksgiving is a perspective that looks beyond our present circumstances. That's kind of long there. Give our students and whoever's taking notes time to write it down. In his sermon last Sunday, Pastor John talked about perspective as he was preaching on Psalm 73. And he made the very important point that our perspective or the way we see the situation around us is crucial. Sometimes it can make all the difference in the world. You know, I mentioned earlier the invitation we find in verse 1, but let me read it again. If you look with me there at verse 1, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist then follows up with a clue about the circumstances that God's people were facing at the time. Let's look again at verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. He mentions there how God has gathered his people from all four of the directions. And many scholars believe this refers to the return of the Jews to their homeland after the Babylonians had attacked and destroyed their city and dragged God's people away in a forced march into exile. This exile was perhaps the most traumatic event in their history as a nation and as a people. 
Maybe some of us are wondering, well, why would that be such a big deal? Well, it's hard for us to appreciate the significance of any moment or event unless we're more familiar with the larger story. Let me try to explain what I mean there with an analogy. You know, we've had the good fortune of being able to enjoy some really great books and movies in recent years that feature captivating larger stories that are told slowly over several installments. The Harry Potter books and movies and Marvel Cinematic Universe are just two of many examples I could mention. Let me try to put it this way. The exile in Old Testament history is pretty much the equivalent of what happened to Dumbledore at the end of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. It's pretty much the equivalent of the snap at the end of Avengers Infinity War. Now, those events weren't the final moment in their respective stories, but they were still horrible. They were traumatic. They represented a monumental loss for the characters that we became so emotionally invested in. Well, that's what the exile represented for God's people in the story, the wider story of the Old Testament. It was a horrific, traumatic event. Maybe some of us are thinking, oh, wait a minute. Now, you may be right about the exile, but look at verse 3. Verse 3 doesn't say that God will gather his people from the lands in the east or the west or north and south. If you look there carefully, it says he gathered them, past tense. He brought them back. Sure, the exile may have been awful, but God's people are back in their homeland. They're gathered. In fact, the first three verses seem to be the answer to the prayer that we read at the end of the previous psalm, in Psalm 106, verse 47, which says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Well, it seems like it happened. They're gathered. Well, that is true, but again, if we're familiar with the greater story, then we'll also know that the return from exile wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. First, only a handful of the Jews who actually left came back. And second, the few who did return soon found themselves experiencing a whole host of different challenges. They had to rebuild the walls of their city, which had been broken down. They had to rebuild the temple, which had been destroyed. In fact, according to the book of Ezra, some of the Jews who were old enough to remember the original temple actually wept when they saw the new temple being built because they realized it would never be like the original temple that Solomon had built. It just couldn't compare in glory. Third, God's people may have been back in their homeland, but they were still living under the rule of another empire. It wasn't anything like the glory days of King David and Solomon. My point here is that even though God's people were back home, things were still tough for them. Really tough. Now, imagine being in their difficult circumstances and then hearing the call of verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. It wouldn't have surprised me if some of them said, really? Like, really? Give thanks when all this is happening? It was probably hard. It was probably hard for Many of them to give thanks in their day, just like it might feel hard for many of us to give thanks 
here in our day, November 2021. But that's exactly the point. Thanksgiving isn't necessarily something we always feel. It's more of a perspective. It's often a perspective that challenges to look look beyond our present circumstances. That's our first lesson from this psalm this morning. Now, perhaps some of us are wondering, well, if we need a perspective that looks beyond our present circumstances, well, where exactly are we supposed to direct our focus? That takes us to our next lesson. Thanksgiving is a discipline that celebrates what God has done for us in the past. Thanksgiving is a discipline that celebrates what God has done for us in the past. If we keep reading through the psalm, we'll see the author describing four impossible situations that had apparently ensnared members of God's people. We find the first situation in verses 4 to 9. It focuses on a group of people who were lost. I don't know when was the last time any of us have been lost. It seems like it's harder to do that in today's age of smartphones and Google Maps and whatnot, but those of us who are old enough to remember our last experience of being lost will probably agree it's not a good feeling. Not a good feeling. But imagine what it would be like to not only be lost, but to realize that even if you knew where you were, you still have no place to go. You have no home. You're lost and homeless. And that's the situation we find described in verse 4, if you look there with me. Verse 4 says, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. That's the first impossible situation. The second situation is from verses 10 to 16. It focuses on people who are in prison with no hope of escape. The only certainty they have is that they're going to die sooner or later. They will be executed This is what we find in verse 10, if you look there with me. It says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. The third situation deals with people who had made themselves sick. We all know there are times when people get sick, and it's not their fault. But many of us also know that there are some illnesses that are entirely self-inflicted. And it's the second type of sickness that's the focus from verses 17 to 22. This impossible situation is about people who are ill and even near the point of death, and they know that they have no one to blame but themselves. If you look with me at verses 17 and 18, it reads, Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquity, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. The fourth and last situation is from verses 23 to 32, and it's about people who are lost at sea during a typhoon or a hurricane. These folks are completely at the mercy of the wind and the waves that are raging all around them. If you look with me at verses 26 and 27, it says, They mounted up to heaven... They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Now, I'm guessing very few of us here can relate to this fourth situation. I certainly can't. In fact, the first thing that honestly came to my mind as I was reading these verses in preparation for the sermon was a movie. A movie that I saw about 20 years ago called The Perfect 
storm. Now, if any of you remember seeing this movie featuring George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg, then you can imagine just how impossible this situation that's described in these verses must have felt. Like, oh man, we are doomed. But some of us here may be saying to ourselves, well, actually, I can't relate to any of these situations. I've never been lost and homeless. I've never been in prison with a death sentence. I have no idea what it's like to suffer from a self-inflicted terminal illness. I've certainly never run into a perfect storm while going on a cruise with my family or fishing with my friends. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. But the truth is, we can all relate to each of these situations in one way or another, whether we realize it or not. William Godfrey, a pastor in California, observes that each of these four situations are about people who have no ability and no hope of saving themselves. They're trapped in these terrible circumstances and they cannot escape. That is precisely what makes these four situations impossible situations. And yet in all four cases, we find the same phrase appearing. It first shows up in Verse 6, if you look there, it says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And that same phrase appears again in verse 13, and then again in verse 19, and finally in verse 28. It shows up in each of the four situations. Each of these impossible situations were beyond the people's ability. It was beyond their resources. It was beyond any connections they had with people who might have otherwise been able to help them. They had no hope of being rescued until God entered into the picture. And once God entered into the picture, these troubled folks realize that he is not only their only hope, he is all they need. He's all they need. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Even if you can't relate directly to any of these situations described here in Psalm 107, maybe you find yourself in a situation right now that just about seems impossible. You have no idea how you're going to get out of it, or even if you're going to get out of it. But my friends, if you are a Christian, then you can take comfort in the reality that God has already rescued you out of an impossible situation. Because you see, the Bible tells us that you were dead in your sin, and you had no hope, no hope of saving yourself from the just wrath of a holy God who cannot tolerate any evil or injustice. And not just the evil or injustice that's around us, but the evil that's within us. But the gospel assures us that God is also rich in mercy. He loves you so much that he was willing to make you alive even though you were dead in your sin. And he did this so that once you came alive spiritually, you could realize for the first time, my goodness, I do need forgiveness from this holy God. And you also realize, my goodness, he's willing to forgive me. And so you cried out to him. 
Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, have mercy on me. You cried out to him, and he delivered you from your distress. And now you are forgiven, and you know it. And now you are accepted into his family, and you know it. And now you're his dearly loved daughter or son, and he is your perfect and loving father. And you know it. And there's nothing in this world that can separate you from his love. There's nothing in this world that can change your status as a beloved child of God. And you know it. If you look again at the first two verses of our psalm today, you'll see the same word showing up twice. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Perhaps you notice the word, the way I emphasize it. The word is redeemed. It shows up twice in verse 2. Now, if you look up this word in the dictionary, you'll find several definitions for the way it's used today. Examples could be like, man, the Cubs front office really need to redeem themselves after their horrible season last year. Or, I'm so excited to redeem those Boston Market vouchers for my Thanksgiving meal this week. But in the Bible, this word, redeem, carries a very specific idea of rescuing someone from slavery or bondage, and that rescue happens by you paying a price in order to purchase their freedom. And in this sense, every genuine believer is redeemed. You and I have been rescued from our imprisonment to sin. God has set us free from that impossible situation. We must never forget that our freedom came with a price and we could not pay it on our own. And so Jesus, our Savior, had to lay down his life and die for us purchase our freedom to save us it's so easy for us to forget this isn't it it's so easy for us to allow our present circumstances to dictate how thankful we feel and so this is why thanksgiving has to be a perspective that looks beyond our present circumstances but it's also a discipline thanksgiving is a discipline that celebrates what god has done for us in the past He has redeemed us from our captivity to sin, and he did it at the cost of his son's precious blood. But it is a discipline. Thanksgiving is a habit we need to cultivate by regularly exposing ourselves to God's word so we can think his thoughts after him. Just look back at this past week and think about all of the minutes, or shall I say hours, that you logged on Instagram on Facebook, on TikTok, on Netflix, on Amazon. And compare that with the number of hours or minutes you spent in God's Word. And then ask yourself, should I really be surprised that my perspective is so controlled and dictated by my present circumstances? Rather than thinking God's thoughts after Him, 
We need to cultivate this discipline of thanksgiving by gathering consistently with the people of God in worship so we can be reminded again and again through the songs that we sing and the sins we confess and the scriptures we hear read aloud. We can be reminded again and again of what God has done for us. And so yes, thanksgiving is very much a discipline It's a discipline that celebrates what God has done for us in the past. Third and last, Thanksgiving is a choice to trust God's promises for the future. It's a perspective that looks beyond our present circumstances. It's a discipline that celebrates what happened, what God's done for us in the past, but Thanksgiving is also a choice to trust God's promises for the future. Present, past, future. In the final few verses of today's psalm, we see two different pictures of reversal. What do I mean by that? Well, if we look at verses 33 to 36, we see a situation where God changes fruitful and prosperous lands into deserts and wastelands, while he does the opposite for the deserts and wastelands. He transforms them into springs of water that will bear fruit and feed the hungry. There's a reversal happening there. And then in verses 37 to 42, we see another picture of reversal. Describes God bringing down the wicked who have been using their power to oppress others while he lifts up and exalts the righteous who've waited patiently in their time of need. And this is again in many ways an echo of what Pastor John shared in his sermon last Sunday. The righteous do often wonder why they suffer as they watch the prosperity of the wicked, right? But then once the righteous enter into the sanctuary of God, their perspective changes, right? They're reminded in their worship that God will have the final word. God will vindicate those who've been waiting patiently for him even as they suffered. God will keep all of his promises that he has made to those he loves in Christ. Some of us may be aware of passages in the New Testament that describe believers as exiles. James 1, 1 Peter 1. And so in this sense, our experience today actually isn't all that different from the people of God in Psalm 107. Yes, we've been rescued, we've been redeemed from the penalty and power of sin, but we're not quite home yet. This broken, pain-filled world isn't our final destination. One day we will arrive in our final resting place, the new heaven and new earth. And that's not a matter of if, but when. But in the meantime, some of us may wonder, well, can we really be thankful for something we haven't received yet? Can we actually have gratitude for something we haven't yet experienced? I believe the answer from our psalm is yes. Yes, we can, but only if we completely trust the person who has promised to bring us home. Yes, we can be thankful for something we haven't received yet, but only if we know the one who has promised us these things has already proven himself to be trustworthy. This, my friends, is why Thanksgiving is a choice to trust God's promises for the future. 
many of us are aware that he promises a future where there will be no more mourning or crying or pain because he will make everything new. We're not there yet, but we will be someday. And if we really believe that, then yes, we can be thankful now. In the end, thanksgiving is a choice to trust God's promises for the future. Again, I know some of us here may not feel very thankful, even though the official holiday is coming up soon. I want to assure you that you're not alone. I know this is a tough time for many of us. And if I'm completely honest, I just want to share that I've been having a tough time too. I talked about this in greater depth with our leaders at our annual planning meeting last Sunday, and so I won't go into all the gory details again here, but suffice it to say, I've been having a tough time these days. And I know I'm not alone. But I can also honestly say, I am thankful. I am truly thankful for the scriptures. I am so thankful for the way that God gently reminds us through his word that thanksgiving isn't always a matter of feelings or emotions. It can be, and when it is, it's great. But many of us know from our experience that our feelings and emotions are often dictated by our present circumstances. And biblical thanksgiving is more of a perspective that looks beyond our present circumstances. It's also a discipline that celebrates what God has done for us in the past. And it's a choice to trust God's promises to us for the future. I can't really think of any better way to end this sermon other than directing our attention to the final verse of our psalm this morning. If you will look with me at verse 43 as I read it for us. God's word says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for reminding us in our own stage of exile of all that you've done for us in the past and of all that you've promised us for the future. Lord, we're also open to your correction. Would you please correct and even realign our perspective? We ask that you'd also help us to cultivate this discipline of celebrating your saving, redeeming grace in Christ. We ask that you give us the strength to choose to trust that you will keep all of your promises to us. Lord, we long for the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We pray these things in his name. Amen.